Our scripture reading today comes from the gospel according to Luke. Hear these words from Luke chapter 2. In those days a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken while Quirinius was the governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David called Bethlehem because he was descended from the house and family of David. He went to be registered with Mary, to whom he was engaged and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the the time came for her to deliver her child, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in bands of cloth, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. In that region there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace among those whom he favors. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place with the, which the Lord has made known to us. So they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in the manger When they saw this, they made known all what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. You may be seated. Friends, it's been a while uh, since I've seen many of you. Um, if you are new or visiting today, FYI, on December 2nd, my wife, Adair, and I welcomed our baby boy named Ben into the world. And it has been a whirlwind. It has been wonderful. And we don't always know what day it is. Uh, thankful for Connor for reminding me about this. Uh, but Adair and I feel incredibly blessed this season. I'm thankful to Connor and to Katie and uh, the staff, all the musicians, so many of you for all that you've been doing in December, for the beautiful music and festivities of this season. It has been wonderful to witness from afar and on live stream, and it is wonderful to witness it up close today. Uh, I love this time of year because it always feels like there's something in the air. There's a feeling of, of expectation, of possibility. One of the great preachers of our time, Fleming Rutledge, says that Advent is saturated with the sense of something uniquely impossible about to happen. I love that. Advent is filled with possibility. As I just said, Adair and I have been living in the midst of our own kind of Advent lately. And on November 30th, Adair and I had an urgent care appointment because we've both been under the weather for a while. And as they took Adair's vitals, the PA said, it's time to go to the hospital, you're going to have a baby. Um, And it's funny, I've been hearing that for nine months, but it hit different that time. So we threw a bunch of stuff in a bag because <laughs> we weren't prepared. And we drove to Piedmont Noonan and went to the fourth floor and we were quickly rolled into what I can only describe 
uh, as a large um, storage hallway with some curtains. Um, and I mean that in the best way possible. Uh, they hooked a dare up to everything. They rushed us in there. They, they, they took us to the overflow. And at, and at some point, though, we did ask ourselves, why, why are we here? Why can't we get in a room yet? Isn't, isn't it, aren't we supposed to be there? Um, now, to be fair, we weren't in that spot for long. Everybody needs an overflow spot. And we were eventually moved into a labor and delivery room, which is the Disney world of hospital rooms. I don't, I don't know if any of you. Wow. Um, but for those first eight hours, Darren and I sat together in that hallway behind a curtain. We listened to the doctor tell us that we wouldn't be going home until the baby arrived. We shared our final date over Chick-fil-A on a hospital table, uh, and it's where we contemplated what the next few hours and days could look like. All of it, we did that uh, for those eight hours in the overflow area. Now, I'm sure we weren't the only ones to have ever been in a situation like that. Perhaps you've arrived at the hospital when everybody else in the world wanted to as well. And, and there wasn't maybe quite room for you yet. Or maybe you've been in some other circumstance where you've been left feeling a little bit extra or relegated to the overflow area. No doubt the parents of Jesus felt that in a pretty major way. In our story today, Luke says that there's a decree from Caesar for a census to be taken because of taxes. So everybody goes to their own cities to be enrolled to be taxed, including Joseph and Mary, betrothed and expecting. Such an edict seems a little bit inconvenient in the ninth month of pregnancy. Uh, Margaret Mitchell, I think, was the one who said, death, taxes, and childbirth, there's never any convenient time for any of them. And sure enough, upon their arrival in Bethlehem, it's time to have this baby. So Jesus is born, and they lay him in a manger, a feeding trough, and a stable, because there's no room for them elsewhere. And thus, the Son of God... The Prince of Peace, Emmanuel, is born in the overflow area. And after all they've been through, all the angelic experiences and travel and pregnancy in general, I'm sure there was a moment where they looked to each other and said, how can there be no room for us here? I thought God was working on something for us. It's a fair question, I think. How can there be no room in the world for the Son of God, the light of the world, the redemptive and creative force of the universe? After all, he was with God in the beginning and was God and through him all creation was made. How can the very creation he created and that he's come to save have no room for him? Shouldn't he be born in the best of places, in the most important location of all? Mm -mm. I don't think so. Because I think this is precisely where God wants to enter our world because in doing so, God elevates those who've been relegated to the overflow, the, the extras, the unexpected, the forgotten. This is right on par with what Luke's gospel is all about. Luke has a special place in his heart for those who have been left out and cast aside. Luke has a specific concern for sick, outcast people, for the sinner, the enslaved, the poor, the marginalized, the lost. And for Luke, Jesus is here to reverse the standards of importance in the world so that the forgotten are remembered and the dishonored receive the places of honor. Why do you think shepherds are the first to hear the greatest news ever delivered? These are the folks that no one would think to tell at all. And yet they receive the first announcement from a choir of angels. The second rate are given news in the most extravagant way possible. So for Luke, of course, of course the God of light and love would choose to enter human existence in the most humble manner possible in order to be in solidarity with those whose society is forced into the humble places. 
renowned 20th century preacher Walter Russell Bowie said, the world naturally would have expected to have the birth of Jesus framed in some mighty way, some shaking of the earth and skies, some focusing of the whole world's attention upon this event, which swiftly should dominate its age. Instead, there is a stripping away of all of the world's pride before the immense simplicity of God. That's a reversal. And what's the greatest reversal of all? That the God of power and might would enter into human existence in its weakest form, in infancy. Author Philip Yancey says, The God who roared, who could order armies and empires, this God emerged in Israel as a baby who could not speak, who could not eat solid food or control his bladder, who depended on a teenager for shelter, for food, and for love. Why on earth would God do this in this manner? One of my favorite authors is a guy named Brennan Manning. I think he has the best answer I've heard to this question. He writes, God comes as a newborn baby, gives us a chance to love him, and in turn makes us feel that we have something to give him, that we have something to offer. It seems that God figures the best way to teach his creation to love one another is to ask them to love his helpless and infant son. It reminds me of the end of Les Mis when Jean Valjean sings of a great truth. To love another person is to see the face of God. That is the same truth that rings throughout the Gospels, is it not? As Jesus shares with us that when you care for the helpless, the hungry, the thirsty, the needy, you actually care for Him. And so on this holy night, with a whispered cry, the Creator surrenders to His creation and entrusts us with the greatest gift of all, the chance to nurture the very source of love itself. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son and asked simply that we might love Him back. And at its very core, such a gift is also an invitation. In the sleepless weeks uh, since, those nights in the hospital, since Ben's birth, I've learned a lot of new things lately. I know that's a surprise. Um, I've learned how to put a, a, a onesie on a baby, and one foot at a time, how to put one foot in one leg and one foot in the other and then go back to the other leg because it's already out and put it back in. Um, I've learned how to change a diaper and then immediately, one minute later, change it again. I've learned that even if you're the most careful and you rock that sweet baby to sleep and you slowly put them down in the bassinet, you just might accidentally activate their falling reflex and wake them up immediately. It just might happen. But more than any of that, I've been learning what it means to love something completely helpless and in need. And in the process, I've begun to see myself a little bit more, I think, like God sees us, like God sees humanity. As I imagine from God's perspective that we too often seem like infants who can't see too far ahead, who are needy, who are helpless, who need constant supervision, and who cry when they don't necessarily get what they want, and still God loves you and me. And if we can love the way God loves us, if we can learn to love a helpless child or a person in need or a neighbor in the midst of heartache and grief, without condition, such a love is going to change us, I think. It's going to change you and me. It turns out that making room in your heart for another and loving them the way that God loves them, it really does change you. 
Last week, we watched Three Men and a Baby for a little solidarity, I think. <laughs> Watching Tom Selleck try to change a diaper felt real to me. Um, but if you've never seen that movie, it's about these self-absorbed bachelors, these three guys who find a baby on the doorstep, and begrudgingly they take her in, and as they nurture this baby, their priorities begin to shift, their hearts soften, and a void emerges when she leaves. This glimpse of selfless love, sparked by a tiny, helpless baby, leaves them forever changed, all because they begin to care for someone else, for someone other than themselves. James Howell, pastor at Myers Park UMC in Charlotte, says, God came to earth to be like us so that we could be like God. And learning to love is apparently God's best option to change us more and more into people who look like him. On December 15th, many of you know, uh, we lost a saint of this church, Jake Shepard. Jake was here all the time. He and his wife, Phyllis, raised James here. James and his wife, Shannon, have become such an active part of this community. To say that Jake will be missed is an understatement, and we will celebrate his life in the new year. But as I started to grapple with that news in the immediate aftermath, I remembered in the days leading up to becoming a dad, just a few weeks ago, I got a text message from Jake. And all it said was, this will be you soon. <laughs> and then after that were picture after, was picture after picture, images of himself from years prior, awash in new fatherhood in amazing late 80s attire. And in each picture, he was cradling James, his son, his own infant son. And it seems to me that in his excitement for us, Jake sought to share with us and remind himself of the birth of his own son, an event that invited him into loving someone other than himself in such a way that it couldn't do anything but change him for good. And in Jake's message, I heard an unspoken echo of what Jesus' birth showed the world centuries ago. This is the essence of life, to love, to cherish, to find purpose in the vulnerability of choosing to love something other than yourself. And in choosing to love, love will undoubtedly change you. I got one more story, and I'll be finished. There's a there's a short story by scholar J.B. Phillips called The Angel's Point of View, and I want to end with this. It's a story about a senior angel who is showing a very young angel about the splendors of the universe. And they glance at whirling galaxies and blazing suns, and then they go across infinite distances of space until at last they enter one particular galaxy. And he writes that as the two of them drew near to the star which we call our sun and to its circling planets, the senior angel pointed to a small and rather insignificant sphere, turning very slowly on its axis. It looked as dull as a dirty tennis ball to the little angel whose mind was filled with the size and glory of what he'd already seen. I want you to watch for that one in particular, said the senior angel. Well, it looks really small and kind of dirty to me, said the little angel. What's so special about it? It seems to the little angel, earth wasn't that impressive. And he listened in stunned disbelief as the senior angel told him that this planet, small and insignificant and not overly clean, was the renowned visited planet. Do you mean, said the little angel, that our great and glorious prince went down in person to this fifth-rate little ball? Why should he do a thing like that? Little angel's face wrinkled in disgust. Do you mean to tell me, he said, that he stooped so low as to become one of those creeping, crawling creatures of that floating planet? I do, said the senior angel. 
And I don't think he would like you to call them creeping, crawling creatures in that tone of voice. But strange as it may seem to us, he loves them. He went down to visit them to lift them up to become like him. And the little angel looked blank. Such a thought was almost beyond his comprehension. And friends, it's almost beyond mine as well that the God of the universe would put on weakness and humility and skin and come down here to be with us. But apparently, he loves us. And in his grand entrance as a helpless infant, he invites us to love him back. And should you accept that invitation and begin to love the world in the way that God loves it, something is sure to change in you. Come to Bethlehem and see. Christ, whose birth the angels sing, come adore on bended knee, Christ the Lord, the newborn King. Let us pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks this evening for what it is you have done for us, for choosing to know what it is to be human. and invite us to love you in return. God, on nights like this, we remember the words of the poem from Howard Thurman, when the song of the angels is stilled, when the star in the sky is gone, when the kings and princes are home, when the shepherds are back with their flock. That's when the work of Christmas begins, to find the lost, to heal the broken, to feed the hungry, to release the prisoner, to rebuild the nations, to bring peace among brothers, and to make music from the heart. Instill within us, O God, that mission, and help us to be ones who love you back. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.